0: exciting. That group is going over to check in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has been the focus of our study on the book of Romans. In chapters 1 through 11, as we've been walking through the book of Romans, the focus has been entirely on the gospel message. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, that's right, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. That is a wonderful summary of Romans 1 through 11. That that even though I'm I'm sinful and disobedient and rightfully deserved punishment for my disobedience against God, that God, because of His great love, that, that He showed that love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not not because I earned it, not because I did enough good to get there, no, no, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me, Christ died for you. And and that is the gospel message of Romans chapter 1 through 11. Then when we hit Romans chapter 12, we recognize that there is this transition to how we daily live in light of that gospel message in chapters 1 through 11. And so in light of the gospel, in light of God's love poured out for us, how do we live day in and day out? We live in loving submission to the God of the universe. And we've seen that in each area of our life. So if you think through what we've seen the last few weeks, we love God and submit to God by giving Him our bodies, fully belonging to Him. We submit to God by giving Him our minds. We submit to God by giving Him our talents, And those things that He's given to us for His kingdom. We submit to God by fully loving others. We submit to God by submitting to the human authorities that He's put in place. We submit to God by doing what is right and obeying His commands. Which, as Paul points out, are all about love. Now today, we recognize that in response to the gospel, in submission to God, we welcome believers with whom we differ on disputable matters. We submit to God by welcoming believers that that we disagree with about disputable matters. What are disputable matters? Well, We'll get there in just a moment. But before we get there, I would love for us to read our passage together today. And, And you've been seated for a couple of minutes, so I don't feel bad asking you to stand with me. And let's do the best we can in order to read this in unison together. All right, you ready? Here we go. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord, and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that we might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Thank you, friends. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. There are all kinds of items, thousands of items, about which the Scripture is perfectly clear. The Scripture is perfectly clear that we are saved by grace through faith and not by our own works and merit. The Scripture is perfectly clear that we should not murder each other. The Scripture is perfectly clear that in our marriages we should not commit adultery. The Scripture is perfectly clear that with our words, we should not tear each other down, gossip about each other, slander each other. The Scripture is perfectly clear that we should dedicate time to being with the Lord. And on and on I could go, because there are are thousands of items that we face throughout our daily lives about which the Scripture is perfectly clear in its proclamations and its teaching. I'd like to represent those very clear teachings of the Scripture with a black box, right? I do this all the time. So let us represent the clear teaching of Scripture with a black box. What happens when two people differ about black box areas? What happens when two people differ about the clear teaching of Scripture? One of them is wrong. When there is a difference of opinion or practice when it comes to the clear teaching of Scripture, it is because someone is wrong. If you believe that we're saved by grace through faith and I believe that we are saved through our own hard work and merit, one of us is wrong. If you believe that in our marriages we should not commit adultery and I go ahead and commit adultery, one of us is wrong. If you believe that our words should be encouraging and build others up, and I use my words to tear other people down, to gossip about them and slander them, one of us is wrong. If there is a difference of opinion or practice when it comes to the clear teaching of Scripture, that difference exists because one of us is wrong. Now, what is to happen in those situations? When there is a difference because someone is wrong. What's to happen is those believers who are walking in the Spirit are to come alongside that person who is wrong and gently and lovingly restore them to the way of Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted." In these clear teachings of Scripture that we represented with that black box, if someone is breaking those teachings, if someone is going against the clear teaching of Scripture, other believers are supposed to gently and lovingly come alongside, always checking themselves to make sure they are not falling into pride, and lovingly, gently lead them back towards what is right. Jesus addresses what happens when someone is doing something wrong directly against you as a believer. In Matthew chapter 18, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile. And a tax collector. Jesus says, here's how to handle it when someone has gone against the direct teaching of God in your life, has hurt you, has sinned against you. Go directly to them. Don't go and talk to a bunch of other people about the wrong they've done. No, go directly to them and deal with the issue. And if they won't listen to you, if they they won't pay attention to the wrong that they've done, then take a couple of other believers with you. And if they won't pay attention to that, then get the church involved. And He says, if they won't listen to the church and repent, then treat them as an unbeliever because that is what their actions are showing them to be. Jesus says, this is how you handle it when someone is against the direct teaching of Scripture in your life. Galatians chapter 6.1 deals with it in a more general way when we see a person who is going against the direct teaching of Scripture. We are to lovingly and gently seek restoration and reconciliation in those situations. This, th- these, these black box teachings, the clear teachings of Scripture, that is not what our passage is about today. Right? What, what is our passage about today? It's about what verse 1 calls matters of opinion. What some of your translations refer to as disputable matters. That's what Romans chapter 14 is about. There are thousands of areas where the Bible clearly teaches us in how we are to think and act. There are also thousands of areas that we face in our daily lives that the Bible does not address or doesn't address clearly. What are we supposed to do in those areas? How how are we supposed to handle that? I'd like to represent those areas about which the Scripture does not clearly teach or doesn't teach at all with a gray box. So if you have the clear teachings of Scripture in the black box, those areas that aren't mentioned in Scripture, let's represent with this gray box. And we still often have to make decisions and hold opinions in these areas. And we notice that in the church in Rome, there were a couple of these gray box areas, matters of opinion about which people held very different opinions and had different practices. Right? What were those that were mentioned in the passage? Verses 2 through 4 talks about eating meat. In Rome, when you went to the meat market... The meat that was offered there had been sacrificed to idols. And so there were a number of believers in the church in Rome who said, how can you possibly buy and eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? We worship the one true God. We are to be completely and totally loyal to Him. How can you buy that meat? How can you eat that meat that has been sacrificed to a false god? There was another group within the church in Rome who said, why wouldn't you eat that meat? We don't believe those idols are anything. They're statues made by human hands. Who cares? We can buy that meat and eat it in honor of the Lord. And so you had these two different groups within the church in Rome. I would ask you to just take a minute and think about which group you think you would have been in. Right? Which group would you have been in? That's not the, oh man, maybe we should do a little sharing here. No, no. What was the other issue in verses 5 and 6? Whether or not to observe a Sabbath or the holy days. In Christ's coming, the letter of the law was fulfilled. And so followers of Jesus are no longer required to keep a Sabbath or the Jewish holy days. However, there was a group of people within the Roman church who said, okay, maybe we're not required, but it is still beneficial if we all keep a Sabbath, if we all observe these holy days. It is beneficial to our spiritual life to do that. There was another group within the church at Rome that said, why would we do that? Since Christ isn't every day holy, there are no more holy days in a week. All the days are holy. Why would we set aside one day to rest and worship the Lord? Shouldn't we be worshiping the Lord and honoring Him in everything we do every day? And so there was a disagreement in this area of opinion within the church in Rome. I'd ask you again, which camp do you think you would have fallen into in this situation? Now... Meat sacrifice to idols, not a huge issue in our society. Observing the Sabbath, that can still become an issue, but it's very different than in this context. But that doesn't mean that there aren't all sorts of disputable matters, areas where the Scripture does not clearly guide us, about which we have differences of opinion and practice. I wrote down a few of these that I have seen over the years, Uh, and and let's see if any of these resonate with you. One, what kind of movies and TV shows should Christians watch? I was in a conversation uh, a few weeks ago where a particular TV show came up, and it was obvious in this room full of believers that some of them loved the show and some of them thought, oh no, we should never be watching that kind of show. What is it? Where's the line drawn? Should Christians drink alcohol? The Bible is very clear that that a believer should never be drunk. But why would a believer contribute their finances towards something that does so much damage in so many people's lives? On the other side of that issue, there are a group of people who say, doesn't God teach us to enjoy all of the good things that He has made? And doesn't Jesus come off as pretty pro-wine in John chapter 2? How far should believers go to adhere to the fashions of their day? Are there things that that men choose to wear, that women choose to wear, in order to adhere to the fashions of their day which aren't actually helpful to them or to the people around them? Should Christians watch competitive sports? Right? Is it just a good time and are we just bonding as we watch competitive sports or are we contributing to something that is idolatry in our society for so many people and is often barbaric in its practice? What's appropriate music to listen to? Should we only listen to Christian music? Is it okay to listen to music that's not Christian? Is it okay for Pastor Nathan to jam out in his office to T-Swift over the course of this entire week? <laughs> that didn't really happen. Well, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> uh, let me step on Mortos. How much material wealth is it okay for me to have before I am denying God's kingdom purposes that my finances be about the kingdom? What level of possessions and wealth can I rightly have before I am no longer living sacrificially for the kingdom of God? I bet we all draw that line in slightly different places. How large a TV can you own before you're just being wasteful? What is the government's role in helping the poor? Should a child go to public school, private school, or be homeschooled? Are there any opinions? (laughs) How should a person dress to go to church? What kind of foods are okay to buy? How should a child be disciplined? How much time should a person invest into keeping up their home and yard before they're wasting the time that God has given them on appearances? I, we could go on like this forever, right? There are thousands of issues that we face day in and day out about which the Bible does not speak or does not speak directly. How are we to make decisions in those areas? Just do whatever we want, right? right? No, that, that's not what this passage teaches. What does this passage teach? We seek whatever honors the Lord the most in all of these situations, we see it throughout the passage, but it's really well summarized in verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in what? Honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in what? Honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Do you see what it is to drive our motivations when it comes to our decision making in these areas of opinion and disputable matters? Our decisions are always to be motivated by what honors and exalts the Lord the most. And so, how much wealth I can properly have before I'm wasting the Lord's resources. I am primarily to work that through in terms of what honors and exalts the Lord the most. Whether I send my kids to private school, public school, or homeschool them is only secondarily about what is the best education for them. It is primarily about what exalts and honors the Lord the most. What it is I buy, what it is I eat, all of these things that are matters of opinion, disputable matters, our motivation in all of them is to be what? What is it that honors the Lord the most in these decisions? And we are to prayerfully and carefully think about these things. Right? There isn't a sense of, well, we might come to different opinions about this, so just do whatever you want. Right? No, Paul says, rather than being driven by your finances, your comfort how much other people might like you if you make these decisions. We're to be driven by honoring the Lord and we are to prayerfully and carefully make these decisions. In verse 5, right before this, he says, let each one be fully convinced in their own mind. Pray about it. Think deeply about it and reach a place of conviction about it so that you are fully convinced in your own mind. Yes, this pathway in this area of opinion, in this disputable matter, in my life right now, this is what honors the Lord the most. This is what brings Him the most glory. And then do it. Now, as Paul points out in this passage, I think this is pretty clear. Matt can process one of these decisions and seek to honor the Lord, and I can process a decision in the same area and seek to honor the Lord and we might come to different conclusions about that. Do you see that within the passage? We might reach different places because of the different places we are in our life, the circumstance, whatever that is. Right Now, I want to point out that is not true in the black box matters. It is not that one person can honor the Lord by being faithful in marriage and another person can honor the Lord by deciding to commit adultery in marriage. That isn't how the black box issues work in the clear teaching of Scripture, but in matters of opinion where the Scripture doesn't speak, we can both seek to honor the Lord and come to different decisions. And so, what do we do? What do we do in a church, in God's community here and around the world, where we come to different opinions? and practices in our lives in these areas, these disputable areas, these matters of opinion. What do we do? Well, we could just split over it every time it happens, right? Uh, In Rome, they could have divided into Carnivore Bible Chapel and First Church of the Vegetarians or something like that, right? (laughs) Just gone ahead and split over it. However, uh, maybe, maybe that isn't God's desire, but Christians acting in the flesh for the last 2,000 years have chosen to divide occasionally when they face these kinds of things. In non-essentials, in areas of opinion, churches have split from one another. Uh, churches have at times formed different services within the church in order to appeal to different preferences because we don't want to work those differences out. Let's just keep everybody separate in their own little areas. During COVID, there were people who walked away from relationships in churches that were decades long over decisions that were related to gray box areas. We could just split over these things. And splitting over these things, it's not new. It's not unique to our day and age. Uh, I was reminded of an account of uh, two pastors that both worked in London during the Victorian era. One's name might be familiar to you, uh, Charles Spurgeon. The other's name may, may not, Joseph Parker. But both of them pastored extremely large churches, two of the largest churches in the world in London. And when they started their ministries, their congregations would come and meet together at times. They would actually switch pulpits back and forth between their congregations. And then over the years, a fracture took place. What was at the heart of the fracture? It started when Spurgeon criticized Parker for attending the theater in London." Right? He said, a, Christians shouldn't be attending the theater. Parker shot back at Spurgeon that someone who smoked as many cigars as Spurgeon did shouldn't be worried about whether or not Christians go to the theater. Right now, Spurgeon was once asked by a reporter if he should be smoking cigars as a pastor of a church, and Spurgeon's response was, I never smoked them to excess. The reporter asked Spurgeon, well, what would be excess? To which Spurgeon responded, two at a time. (laughs) And so these men who had been partners in ministry wound up with their congregations no longer meeting, no longer partnering in ministry over which issues? Theater and cigars. Now, I'd invite you to just spend some time in the New Testament this afternoon looking for the centrality of theater in the New Testament. God God doesn't want us to be a people who split and divide over these gray box areas, these matters of opinion, these disputable matters. Uh, This isn't new, but it is up to us to make sure it doesn't happen among us. Instead, what's God's desire, you guys? Unity, you've read this verse over and over again from John 17 as Jesus is praying. I do not ask for these only, the disciples right in front of Him, but also for those who will believe in Me through their word, all disciples since then, that they may all be one, just as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they also may be in Us, so that the world may believe that You have sent Me. Jesus said our ability to resemble and reflect the oneness of the Godhead depends on our unity and peace with each other. Our ability to to see people respond positively to the gospel that, that the Father sent the Son depends upon our unity and peace as the people of God. God's design is that we would be a people of unity and peace. And He gives us throughout Romans 14 the necessary attitudes and actions in order to see that happen. I'm just going to tell you right now, th- this passage got split in half and we're going to see a number of those attitudes and actions next week. But let me give you the ones we see this week. Starting with this, what, what's needed for God honoring unity and peace? Welcome and acceptance for those with difference, differences of opinion. Right, we are to welcome and accept those with different opinions in these gray box areas, in these matters of opinion. There will always be people within Christian community who have different opinions than we do about these areas that the Bible doesn't clearly address. And God's command for us is to be a people of welcome towards those with whom we disagree. The word for welcome here is the same word used in John chapter 14 verse 3 when we're told that Jesus goes to prepare a place for us and that ultimately God will welcome us into those heavenly dwellings. what does God's welcome into heavenly dwellings look like for us? Does He just kind of put up with us? Does He bring us into those dwellings and then just ignore us as best He can? Ultimately, God's welcome of us into heavenly dwellings is of the greatest blessing, isn't it? God is pouring out all goodness upon us in that welcome. And what kind of welcome is it that we are to give to those with whom we disagree in these matters of opinion? That same kind of welcome, not just, well, okay, I'll put up with you being in the same body as me. Okay, you can be here and I'll just try and ignore you to the best of my ability. No, we are called to the kind of welcome that God shows to us where we lovingly pour ourselves out to help that person feel a part of the body of Christ. We are told in this passage, God has welcomed them. Who are we to not welcome them? He has welcomed them, accepted them into the body. Yes, we have some disagreements in some of these matters of opinion. Who cares? We're all a part of God's family. He's welcomed them. Our duty is to welcome them. Second, if we're going to experience the unity and peace that God desires for us, Don't quarrel and fight about areas of opinion, about these disputable matters. Uh, We love to think that we are right, and I am confident that that is true, right? One of the damages of sin in our life is that we tend to see life through our selfish lens, always understanding our own opinions to be right. And when others hold different opinions in disputable matters, it threatens our insecurities. How do I deal with that threat to my insecurity? One way is by quarreling with you in order to insist that I am right. And God says, in these areas of opinion, these areas not directly addressed by Scripture, don't waste your time and energy quarreling and fighting with each other. It's absolutely not worth it. The black box areas, those things that are are central to what God would have for us, that's to be your focus. You're never to be so focused on gray box areas that you would want to quarrel and fight about those things. Because those things, when we are properly focused on Christ, the gospel, and the teaching of the Word, those gray box areas fade into the background. They recede so that they are not important, and all that matters to us is the unity we have in the black box. I love the way Bonhoeffer puts it in his book, Life Together. If you've never read Life Together, recommend it to you. The more genuine and deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and His work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. And so we don't quarrel and we don't fight about those things that are not vital to us. Opinions and disputable matters, they recede into the background. All that matters is Jesus and what He's taught us in His Word. And so we're not a people who quarrel or fight about these areas of opinion. Third, and finally... Don't despise or judge others about their opinions. Don't despise or judge. The, The last few verses of the section that we read point out that all believers, they have a judge they're going to stand before, and it's not you. Can you believe it? It's not you. And they will rightly stand before that judge, and he'll take care of it. And so you don't need to worry about being their judge in these disputable matters. Now, usually, about this time, uh, someone will say, that's right. You can't judge me and tell me the things I'm doing are wrong. No, that's not what this is talking about. Right? Remember what Galatians 6.1 said? If someone is in sin, that is, they are disobeying God in a black box area, we are responsible to judge that or determine that to be sin and to gently and lovingly come alongside and try and bring them from wrong to right. Uh, I I was talking to somebody a couple of years ago who was deep into sexual sin, and when I tried to gently bring this up and maneuver the conversation towards repentance, their response was, Jesus says you can't judge me. Now that, That isn't what Jesus is talking about at all. We are to determine things that are sin and to gently and lovingly lead people towards righteousness. But we are never to be judgmental and look down on each other because of areas of opinion, because of these disputable matters. You may choose to school your kids in the public school and I may choose to homeschool my kids. And we may firmly believe that God is leading us to do those things, and we are not to judge one another and look down on each other about those decisions. You may believe one level of uh, personal wealth is okay for kingdom purposes, and I believe another level of personal wealth is okay for kingdom purposes, as we are seeking to honor the Lord with the things that he's given to us, we're never to judge each other and look down on each other over those things. Uh, when it comes to these matters of opinion, these disputable matters, we're not to be people of judgment. We're not to be people who look down on one another. And so when it comes to these areas of opinion, what are, what are we supposed to do? We seek to welcome and accept those with different opinions. We don't quarrel about matters of opinion and fight about these things that aren't clear in the Scriptures or aren't mentioned in the Scriptures. And we don't despise or judge others. If we're both seeking to honor the Lord, we may come to very different opinions. We never judge each other and look down on each other in these areas. That is our desire. And next week, we're going to see even more that God has to say in the rest of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 about how we handle these areas of opinion. But for now, I want to call our attention back to that black box, to that which unifies us and brings us together. Because every week when we come before the Lord's table, it is a celebration of what unifies us and brings us together. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, Paul says, We all eat from one loaf because we are all one body. We are united as a people. And this table is a weekly reminder of the unity we have in Jesus Christ. It's a weekly reminder to drop those gray box areas, to let them recede into the back, and to allow Christ, His work, and His clear teaching in the Scripture to stand as what is important in our lives. And so I want to invite you right now to just bow your heads with me. You can close your eyes if you want. And let us just prepare our hearts in order to take communion today. Start by confessing any gray box areas that you have allowed to become central in your life. Any areas of opinion that have taken too great a priority in your life. Would you think in your life about anyone where there is division because of matters of opinion and disputable matters? Would you confess that to the Lord and seek his strength and power in reconciliation in that? Would you confess any clear teachings of Scripture, any black box matters that have fallen off in terms of their precedence in your life, in terms of their importance in your life? As we process these things that uh, may be wrong wrong thinking, wrong action in our life, we transition to a time of praising and thanking Jesus for His grace and mercy that's been poured out on us. We recognize we we don't deserve it because of His great love. Would you give Him all thanks and praise for the mercy and grace He's poured out on you? Would you pray for the power and strength to treat others with the same grace and mercy with which you've been treated by your Lord?